Hey guys, this is Dave Barnes. And this is John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome daddy. On today's episode, we talk with our friend Al Andrews. Al started a place called Porter's Call, which is a nonprofit that offers free counseling to musicians and their spouses here in Nashville. We have both benefited from this incredible, immensely, immensely in this incredible um, counseling group. And honestly, Al was one of the first people that we thought about when we started the podcast. But we're excited you guys are here and uh, and get to hear Al's wisdom on all things dad. Enjoy your time in Dadville. Dum, dum, dum. So this, I have known, I've known this wonderful bearded warrior. Don't you can't say anything, so I just talk and you listen and, and smile at how much I love you and how much I'm about to brag about me. For I think going on maybe 15 years now, 15 or 16 years, he is a dear, 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 dear friend of mine, a counselor, literally and figuratively, kind of a second dad. And kind of why, I mean, John, you and I talked about this, kind of why we wanted to start this podcast was interviews with our friends like this. Mm -hmm. So Al Andrews is our wonderful uh, guest. He is the founder and executive director of Porter's Call, a nonprofit in Franklin, Tennessee, here in Nashville that has offered free counsel, support, and encouragement to recording artists since 2001. A 1976 graduate of UNC, University of North Carolina, go Tar Heels. He is a long-life Tar Heel fan. He's a co-author of The Silence of Adam, the author of an illustrated children's book, The Boy, the Kite, and the Wind, and a Christmas book, A Walk, One Winter Night, that I'm especially fond of. Uh, and this is my favorite part. Claim to fame is that he, he is mentioned briefly in a footnote <laughs> on page 51 of John Eldridge's best-selling book, Wild at Heart. Uh, so everybody welcome Mr. Al Andrews. Hey, thanks for having me. You. Al, I cannot yeah. overstate how excited I am. Yeah, I feel the to same talk way. with you. Oh, guys, thanks. It's great to be here with you. I've been do, looking forward to this. Do not let us down. <laughs> Our <laughs> expectations should no not be higher. <laughs> no pressure. This was a big reason we wanted to start this podcast was yeah. these kind of conversations, I mm. think. And it's especially fun because, you know, like uh I think a lot of our demographic or I'm sorry, a lot of the people we're going to interview and and have interviewed are closer to our age and season mm -hmm. of life so something that we both got really excited about is just knowing that you know yeah you've seen things i'm old yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yes well also i'm i'm 64 mm -hmm. and i have two God, sons 64 oh thank you i have two sons who are 24 and 21 mm. yeah and so it's a different oh yeah time of life yeah but just so thinking, much wisdom well <laughs> some but but thinking about the kids that are your age kids mm. Mm. Um, was just a wonderful time of life. Mm. Crazy, yeah. but wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I know you. I, I haven't known you for as long as Dave. Mm -hmm. I think the first time that I met you was at Dave's Christmas show back in 2012 or yeah. 13 or something like that. And you were reading the your book, mm -hmm. and which I love. And then I came to Porter's Call, and you counseled me. Mm -hmm. I think it was the first thing that you said to me when we first met, which I, I assume you say to everyone, or maybe I was just a really extreme case that so you had to pull this out. <laughs> but um, you said, paint the picture of your house growing up. like, yeah. Which it was sort of, you know, 
I came in with sort of my list of things that I'm like, I need help with this stuff. Yeah. And you were like, no, no, no. I need you to tell me what your house was like. How, what, what did it feel like? Tell me about your parents. I need to know that to know anything. And that'll tell you so much. So I, that's where we're going to start with you. Tell us, yeah. tell us what that was like. Like, where, where did you grow up? Where were you born? All that. Wow. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. My family lived uh, with another family in this huge house. My, my dad worked for the Presbyterian Church, and they'd bought this old mansion that was built in 1795. Uh-huh. Holy cow. <clears throat> yeah, and we lived upstairs, and a family of six lived downstairs. It was like we all had our own house. But we lived on a non-working farm that was about 100 acres. Holy cow. And it was fantasy land. Mm. Yeah. There were bamboo forests. There were lakes. There were just places to explore. And gosh, I stayed there probably from when I was four till I was in the fifth grade. Mm. And my best friend lived downstairs. So wow. How way. good is that? That so, is as good as it gets. It really is. It's like a Disney storybook. Yes. Childhood. And we made, we, you know, we made tunnels in the bamboo forest. Mm. And yeah. It was quite a great place to explore and to be creative. And my dad had a workshop, a woodworking shop, down in the old garage where the carriages used to be in this old place. And spent a lot of time down there with him. Mm. So is that what he did? No, he was working in men's work in the Presbyterian Church, which would have been, gosh, early 60s. Hmm. And um, it was back before anything like Promise Keepers or Big... And the the Presbyterian Church would have a convention with like 12,000 men. And people would come like Martin Luther King or the Secretary, Secretary of State or something like that. And he was the director of men's work. And then for fun... He would just do woodworking. Hmm. Yeah. And he set me up my own little table. And so I would go down there and do so it. So are you pretty good at that? Terrible. Of, you know? Terrible. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I just did my little things. Um, my sons and I learned how to make <clears throat> wooden pins. We bought a lathe. And so we've learned how to do a few things. But yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a woodworker. But I brought some of that with me. From the old days. So. so, siblings? I have one sister who's two years older than me, hmm. and uh, she got married a lot sooner than I did, hmm. so she has older sons with grandchildren. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, what was the dynamic with your parents, like, and you and, and y'all's family? My parents had this theme that we're going to all be happy. Mm. Which is good news and bad news. Yeah, um, it's not a bad, thing, you know. Right, right. As, in terms of if you can choose being beaten or being happy, I'll, I'll take. You know, <laughs> hey, and and so um, we would have a lot of fun and enjoyed life and enjoyed adventures. And you know, I can remember getting up with my dad like at five in the morning. Mm. We'd go down to this little lake and we'd go frog gigging, which. Who in the world does that? No way. And we'd bring big frogs back, and my mother, bless her heart, would cook frog legs. No way. And she was totally grossed out, but she would do it, you know? (laughs) Anyway, but uh, that that particular little time was just, it it was adventurous. So they were both 
um, very extroverted people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Both of them. Both of them. Wow. And so people were always in and out of our homes, mm. and it was a very place. And so, as I said, it was a very happy place, but, you know, the flip side of that is there was no place to express sorrow mm. or sadness. And so that didn't go well for me in later life right. as that right. began to build up. But in the moment... Um, yeah. It was quite a pleasant place to be. As I look back on that, I go, "That was just a great season." Wow. Yeah. So was like was he with his job in the church? Was he super busy, or was he around all the time? He traveled a good bit. Yeah. Uh, but I don't remember him staying gone very long. Hmm. But he did travel, like probably weekends or something like that. Yeah. But um, I do remember a lot of times him coming back. You can and remember that. I can remember yeah. that. Yeah, the re-entry. Yeah. The yeah. re-entry, and that was really important for me. And your dad, this is something that's always been such a cool part, and, and I think informs, uh, well, you can tell me if it, how much it informs your childhood, but your dad being a World War II vet. I yeah. Mean, how did that, do you think, inform his parenting? Like, Oh, that's wh- a great question. He, um, I've learned a lot about this. He died at, about two years ago at 93. Mm. And um, growing up, when he would talk about the war, it was kind of like he would tell adventure stories. Mm. And they were always really interesting and fun. Yeah. And there wasn't any blood in those stories. They Mm. were like, and then we did this, and then we did this. Uh, But then I found out later, um, we, he and I went back to Normandy. He was, he was on D-Day, like. Omaha Beach. Man. Oh, my um, gosh. What's the movie? Oh, Saving Saving Prior. Saving Prior. He was on that beach. So when you were a kid, he would tell some version of that story to you? Yeah, cleaned up. Yeah. Cleaned up. You know, like, it was more like, and we were hiding in this alley. and So I remember that, but it was very, I describe it as, looking through the wrong end of the binoculars at something. Right. Hmm. You can see it's there, but you can't see the details. Yeah. But when we went back, um, he began to open up about it. And began, How old was he when y'all went back? He would have been almost 70. Okay. Because okay. he was 19 okay. when he landed Golly on the beach, must. which is just nuts when you think yeah. about it. But he told me that after the war, and this is like a 19-year-old kid who turned 20, and he goes through D-Day, and because he was a little Tennessee boy, and he shot at squirrels on the farm, he became a machine gunner. And so there, there are three people that do a machine gun back then. There's one guy that fires, there's one guy that takes the tripod, and there's one guy that holds the water that cools it. And when you talk about the war, the machine gunners are the people they go after first. So mm-hmm. he just yeah. lost lots of buddies in that. But he also killed lots of people. Mm. Yeah, And he... Went into a concentration camp and helped God, free that. And he was in Battle of the Bulge and all these things. And so absolute trauma, for sure, now looking back. But they didn't talk about things like that. They didn't talk about post-traumatic stress or anything. And when he got on the boat, he said that somebody came over a loudspeaker and said, okay, boys, leave the war here and go home. Man. And he did. And basically how it impacted our family was 
in his life, and I don't blame him at all. There was a time when I did, but you know, but now I get it. He just didn't want any more pain. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he had seen so much and he'd caused so much and he'd, yeah. he'd hurt so much. Mm. He just didn't want any more. And so he brought that home. And my mother mm. came, grew up in a difficult place and they married. And he just didn't want more pain. Mm. So he emphasized the positive. Mm. Yeah. And I get it. I get it. It's not helpful to right. a kid who feels a lot of other things, mm. but I get it. And when we went to Normandy, the floodgates opened for him and he felt Man. it. Yeah. And it, it's strange. The, the story that I tell is that when we went to that, to the beach and to the beautiful cemetery, the white crosses that you see, it's just a stunning place. He didn't do much. Um, it was, it was crazy. CBS Sunday Morning was filming us. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. And they went way down the beach, and they said, y'all just take a walk. And so we're taking a walk, and I'm thinking, this is where we're going to really connect. Mm. Yeah. This is where it's going to happen. By then, I'd been to counseling school, and I knew everything, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> especially what he was supposed to do. And um, I remember saying something like, Dad, what does this feel like? And he said, it's great. It's great to be back. And he started talking like that, and I kind of shut down. Which is sort of your dad's yeah, typical. Yeah, like, it's great to be back. And he'd say, here's what was happening, and he was explaining it to me. Yeah. And, and I was kind of going, whoa. You know, I had another thought about what he was going to do, which isn't fair on my part, but it was anyway. And then we went up to the cemetery, and he was quiet up there. But then we got on the bus with... We were with 15 other men and their sons, and we drove a few miles, and this guy, the bus driver, pulled into this place, and he said, uh, now this is the German cemetery where the German boys are buried. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Because you don't think of that, yeah. you know? Man. And it was in the woods instead of on a vista. It was yeah, in the yeah. deep woods, black crosses, five to a grave. Anyway, we wow. pulled up, and he jumped up and he was right at the door and they opened and this is a 70 year old guy 71 and they opened the door and he burst out of the door ran to one of the crosses fell on his knees grabbed the cross and started sobbing wow yeah and he said please forgive me Mm. i've prayed for your mothers and your brothers and your sisters and your children and i'm so sorry i had to kill you and 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 there's I mean, where that brings me. I know tears. it was it was like it did me too, and in him too. And all of a sudden, I realized this is where it was. This is where he carried it. Yeah, and that it was his job. He had to kill people. Yeah, and it was what haunted him the most. Not what had happened to him, but what he had done to right. other people. Did y'all talk about that? We did. Yeah. We did because he kind of pulled it back kind of sucked it back up after a while mm. and he said I'm I'm so I'm sorry I'm sorry and I went no dad you don't need to apologize for mm. this this is true and I think in, in his later life he opened the door to that and then he began to speak of the other parts of the war wow. and and he began to talk about it more and feel it and express it and mm. Then you couldn't shut him up about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, really. Yeah, was, and it was, but it was great because it was the others. 
It was the full yeah. thing. Totally like, different conversation. Even saying things like, I think about it every day. Wow. So in, in answer to the original question, I think it did impact because, you know, he he just, he didn't want more pain mm. and wanted to protect us from pain. Mm. But it, what I did was I began to swallow pain and not express it or feel it because I kind of knew there was this little sign that wasn't ever in the house, but I could read it. And it just says, we don't go there. Mm. If I hurt myself, they were very kind and would fix it up. But but we just don't do pain. Mm. Yeah. So you, you grow up in this. This is the dynamic of the house. You leave for school and you go to UNC. Mm-hmm. Why UNC? What, what did you want to do there? What were you thinking you were going to do? Well, you know, back then in the old days, <laughs> it's so funny. You know, that was 1972. Mm. Everybody went to college. Yeah. You, there was no question about not going. You, you just go to college. And I lived in North Carolina. It's University of North Carolina. And so I'm going to go there. Hmm. And so I went. Yeah. And they were real glad that I went. And I went. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I majored in American Studies, which prepares you to live in America, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is what I have done. So you've been I'm really, well. you're an yeah. expert. At I'm, I, it's amazing how well I've done. <laughs> <laughs> you use your major every day. Yes. Actually, it's a great major. It's kind of a cultural approach to American history. Oh, wow. And bless their hearts, they allowed me to do it. Huh. And then uh, eventually went to grad school. But <laughs> For the same thing? No, went to grad school in counseling. Oh, okay, that was but that counseling. took about. That was about 10 years later. But yeah, just went to UNC, so had a great time. Did they care what you... Did they or did they just care that you went to college? Everyone well, was college back back then. It was you go to college, and, and they weren't pushing you. They weren't. I mean, I'm sure there were conversations that I was never involved in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what in the world is he gonna? How is he gonna make money? You know, and things like that with an American studies, studies. American <laughs> studies. <laughs> A lot of people who took American studies. It was a pre-law major. Oh, was, oh, wow. Or a pre-med major because you could take some. Pre-anything major. Yeah, pre-anything pre- American. Pre-anything major. <laughs> or you want to do something Just in America. Take you want to do something studies. else. <laughs> Start here. <laughs> Are you an American and you want to study something after yeah. college? So they were just fine with it, and you're at least that's back what they then, told you. That's what they yeah. told me. So you you just mentioned this. There was a gap between you getting out of school, graduating UNC, mm-hmm. and then going to counseling school. Mm-hmm. What happened there? What? What? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. No. And <laughs> see. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was Al Andrews. And we've had Welcome Al's been great. <laughs> Let's call it the dark period. No, actually, um, I was involved in a, a Christian ministry in called InterVarsity Christian oh, yeah. Fellowship. Yeah, yeah. And I went on staff with them. Oh, wow. And raised my support. And did that for about, gosh, six years, worked at Wake Forest University in some uh, Appalachian State, and then um, was a team leader for that. And then I worked in a ministry for uh, older adults in First Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. It was like young, young life with old people. Oh, wow. Um, it was amazing. It was like, what, what, how old are we talking? We're about? talking 70 to 90. Oh, wow. So I was their minister. Yeah. And we would take trips. We would do these crazy things. 
But also we would help them if they needed to make a move from a home, mm-hmm. their home to someplace yeah. else. Yeah. And so we do kind of social work and that kind of thing. And then I went to counseling school. How'd you go from old lives to counseling school? That's a great question. Oh, I think during that time, I started going to counseling. Oh, wow. Because I was, gosh, 30-something, not married, and I kept saying I haven't found the right one, and I finally uh, stopped believing my own press (laughs) that, indeed, there was something else going on, and... So I went to counseling to explore what that was because I realized that that wasn't true, Mm. that it was me running from relationships. And I had a really good experience with counseling. And so naturally, I had a good experience. So I thought, I want to be a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really not smart at all, but it it worked out. But then I'm just curious. This is a side note, like, because I recently have come to you within the last couple of years going to counseling. Everyone should go to counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, you just it's just a matter of time whether you reach the point where you realize you need it. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. would do well to go to counseling. Yeah. And I feel like it's very accepted to go to counseling now mm-hmm. and all that. Is it was that the case back then? No. Or was it a big deal? No, it was for me, it was a big deal for me especially because we don't go there. Right. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And and so I probably knew when I went to college that there was just something that wasn't right. Hmm. Yeah, And I wanted to talk about it. But the shame of going to talk to somebody about it was too great, so I didn't. So I waited like 10 or 12 years. And Man. was that something where you were like, I can't tell my, my dad that I'm going to counseling? That would be... I don't think I remember that. I probably, I probably didn't, but I don't remember feeling afraid. They might have thought, wow, that's interesting. Uh-huh. You know, they wouldn't have said, what did we do wrong or anything like that. Right. But they'd probably go, huh. That's interesting. It would not have been something that they would have thought about doing. Their generation didn't. Yeah. I do feel like there has been a seismic, seismic shift toward the counseling sort of self-help uh, psychology yeah. in the yeah. last. I mean, you you self-aware know that. like yeah that yeah massive yeah. massive like it's like oh I want to go I want somebody to help me think through something yeah. And there are people that can do that. There's and no shame in that, I feel yeah. like, these days. I mean, yeah. well, that's not fair. I mean, we live in Nashville with a bunch of artists who are, yeah. you know. But, but and I mean, if you traveled, <laughs> I'm sure, the backwoods of Mississippi, where I'm from, Bill, right. what's the boy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, something wrong. Oh, okay, all right. So suddenly I'm a bad dad. You know, Just drink <laughs> this and get back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I do feel like it is a much more yeah. appreciated and sought-after uh, vocation yeah. than I would imagine then. Yeah. So... You decided to go to counseling school. Where'd you go, by the way? I went to Grace Seminary, and my mentors and teachers were the guy, a guy named Dan Allender oh, and man. Larry Crabb. Jeez, that's and, like um, the one-two punch. Yeah, it really was. And um, they're no longer there. They went separate ways, but uh, that's where I went. Is that how Silence of Adam? Like- Silence of Adam came out when they had moved to Colorado. Colorado Christian University and had a program up there and I was both of them yeah both of them oh wow and I uh, ended up teaching there and while I was there I had a buddy Don Hudson and I started doing some men's conferences and um, we joined with Larry because he was he had a name and wrote a book together oh that's awesome the silence of Adam so funny my roommate in college I've told you this obviously but my roommate in college had silence of Adam and I've read I think 
either I read it or most of it. Yeah. There was parts that I liked, especially with this guy named Al writing them. Yeah, well, it shucks. Yeah, um, it was fun. Those letters are in red. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're more of a pink because you can't. That's two of them. Like a salmon. But, yeah, it was yeah. a salmon. Salmon. Um, so, so you brought, you mentioned, you know, being single, you go to counseling because you kind of feel like, mm-hmm. you know, you need to work this out. So enters Nita, your incredible, incredible mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. bride, who is also a counselor, mm-hmm. artist, a poet. She's much yes. like you, um, a many colored, you know, <laughs> rainbow of talent, um, a <laughs> force. Um, so, so how did y'all meet? Like what were the sort of forces that came together for y'all? Well, backing up to counseling school, when I went to counseling school, part of the way they did things there was in addition to classes, you're in groups and you're in individual sessions and you're, you're counseled, mm. if you will. And during that time, all of that stuff that I had swallowed wow. over the years began to pour out. Mm. And it was a very, very dark season in my life. Wow. And took a while to kind of recover from that, really. And um, Can I ask you this yeah. for the moment? What made that dark, the repression of stuff for so long? Yeah, probably a combination of remembering some things that had happened. Mm that had been just kind of pushed down, Mm -hmm. remembering those things, but still carrying with me the old ways. In other words, there was a time when things were so dark, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it through the next day. And if you would have called me and people did say, are you doing okay? I might have said something like, I've been better, like that. Mm, Yeah. Versus now, if I was feeling like that and you said, how are you doing? I would grab you by the shirt and say, Dave, save me from myself. Wow. Wow, geez. So so even then, going through school, I was still committed to, I can't say everything. Mm. Yeah. So got through. It's like you're learning the things that you can't quite do yet. Yeah. Yeah. It was really an odd thing. So after school, I... I took a year off, and a dear friend of mine gave me a job working in a furniture store. <laughs> in North Carolina? In, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, okay. which is not which my you forte. you can put your woodworking Well, actually, I, actually, it was more like, do you like this piece of furniture? I'll sell it oh, to you. Oh, I see. That you look like that you would enjoy this kind of barca lounge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was this high-end, beautiful store, and he let me do that, and it kind of let things settle in yeah Mm. and then during the middle of that year or during the end of that year dan who knew nita and knew me said i think you should meet each other no way so we met on the phone back then people did that there was no email (laughs) this little date me you know there was a phone with a cord oh yeah and we spent hundreds of dollars on the phone Getting there, and we wrote letters. Where was she? Wait, yeah, where she, is she? She was in Nashville, and oh, I she was, was in here. Win- and I was in Winston. She grew up here. So crazy. Um, and I was in Winston Salem, and so we would call and write letters, like yeah. those things that you put in envelopes and stamp. Yeah. We and we would all write letters back and forth, and it was really amazing. For how long? Probably for about three months. Okay. And then I called and said, I maybe four months. And then I called and said, I think I need to come and visit. And so I flew to Nashville for a blind date. I mean, that's intense. I know. It was really intense. Dude, wh- where did you guys go for this first date? Oh, you're going to love this. 
she met me at the airport, and it was like one in the afternoon. And so she goes, what in the world do you do with somebody you don't know at one in the afternoon? So she had a little sailboat. Um, and so she brought it to the airport. And we went right out to Percy Priest. Jeez. And oh, wow. went sailing. And then there was a storm. and Yes, yeah, sailing. And then there was a big storm that came, and we were blown across the lake and all that. But it was a great. And then, and then she had set up a group of friends to have dinner in case I was a dud, so there'd be a place to go. I love that. So, yeah, I love woman. the backup. Yeah. Just, just really quickly, when Annie and I went on our first date, it was the day she graduated college, and she did the exact same thing. She had a backup plan mm. that we were going to go to Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi on the square, and she was going to post up there and have her friends filter through. And little did she know. I got two fifteen. Literally, so so I got there. We went down to the square. We met up because I, you know, I'd only really hung with her a couple times. And she was like, you know, we're having fun. She's like, oh, let's go over to Square Books. And all of a sudden, her friends just start showing up, which she didn't realize was like a chum to shark for me because I was like, oh, you have friends. Let me entertain them. (laughs) You know, it was just (laughs) literally they filtered through, and like she was like, I've made a terrible. Because I'm like, well, who are you? Oh, look, I'm juggling that. Are you wearing Yeah, I mean, it was. But I love that. I love that she's like, listen, girls, if something goes bad, I'm going to have a backup plan. We're going to meet up with y'all. Yeah, so so we did. Um, And we were soaking wet from the storm uh, that came on the lake that day. But then the next day, we went to... to Loveless Cafe uh, for breakfast. Got some biscuits. Got some biscuits. And then we went to Davis Kid and showed each other mm. our favorite books. Oh, I love that. And then we went out to have this wonderful dinner. And then we went to see When Harry Met Sally. Oh, I love oh, that. Nice. And it was on at the theater. And it was great. Great um, soundtrack. Great soundtrack. And, and that's also a movie where we could tell... Oh, she laughed at that scene. That's good. Mm -hmm. Because I know that she's not stiff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was just an amazing. We had a great weekend. And then, gosh, we probably had six or seven dates after that. And we got married a year from when we met. Wow. In Nashville. Dave, you know, if you blink too fast... You'll almost miss February. And blinking fast just sounds dangerous in general. Mm -hmm. A shorter month means less time to check off items on my to-do list, John. And you know what's really been a game changer for me? What? Policy Genius. Uh, They've made it incredibly easy to compare life insurance rates and save 50% or more in the process. 50%? Wow. It sounds like you're going to have a lot more money to spend on stuff you really care about. You know the fun stuff I care about, John? Yep. Non-lethal hugs. Hugs. Yep. And... Other people's, Other swimming, people's pools. swimming pools. Yep. You can say that again. Let me tell you how it works, Johnny. First, head to policygenius.com. It's a one-stop shop where they tell you how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find the best price. That sounds like a lifesaver, pun intended. <laughs> okay. Okay. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. They make choosing life insurance a walk in the park or a jog in the park, if that's your thing. Yep. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Okay, but what about all the paperwork and the red tape? You <laughs> don't know use those, I don't like red don't tape. Don't use those words. Those are dirty words here. <laughs> the Policy Genius team handles all of it for you. If you run into any problems throughout the application process, they take care of everything. 
I bet that's why they have a five-star rating across 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. March is right around the corner. If you're struggling to get stuff done, just take a deep breath. Can we do that together right now? Yep. Are we doing in through the nose, out through the mouth? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, Mm, gosh, there it is. Policy Genius will help you make the most of the short month in minutes. You're telling me I can save 50% or more just by comparing quotes? (laughs) That is exactly what I'm telling you. And rest easy knowing that your family will be taken care of if anything were to happen. You know, and that's all a dad can ask for, huh? And someone else's pool. Go to policygenius.com to get started today. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. So what is, like, because you and Nita as two counselors, like, John and I were, were laughing about this. We were sort of getting ready for this interview. Like, do you guys just sit and sort of counsel it? You know, it's like, you know, what, what did you say? Like, do you just come home? It's and- like, if you say the right, if you respond in the right way, does her eyes just roll like, I don't want you to go to the textbook right now. Well, no. just, Al, just actually, Actually, just to clear up a misconception, it's sort of like a doctor's children are always sick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, exactly. And so it just really is not that dynamic in our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At all. I mean, it's You're really spent not. by the time you I get mean, home. We, we may ask each other some other questions, but it's just not. It's yeah. just not like, so it's what you're saying. <laughs> Nina, I want to say first, I hear you. I see <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, if I said I that, she would throw you. something at me. So, so what, what is y'all's <laughs> dynamic? Like, what? It, what is it? Oh, we're how just very work? different. Mm. Uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. We should probably get her on here to describe our dynamic i'm much more extroverted than she is but we've kind of learned how like she gets energized by being alone Mm. and i get energized by being with people Mm. and so instead of making her be with people or whatever she kind of invites me into the world of silence Mm. so she'll say to me now and then al i think you might need to go to the monastery for a while wow and I, I might invite her more into the world of relationships. I think we ought to go out to eat with some folks. We're, we're very different, but we invite each other into each that. other's world that's, that's yeah. instead of trying to make each other. We did that for a while, for a few years. Yeah. I think she'd be much happier if she was an extroverted. Mm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I you know be best so for you. She'd be so much happier. She'd be so change. much happier if she did life the way I did. Yeah. But um, I think that's kind of where we've ended up. We're... When we went to counseling together, he said, you all need to be comfortable with the fact that you're very different Mm. and you need to do some things by yourselves Mm. and it's fine. You know, it's funny. I I think one of the biggest takeaways I've gotten through counseling over the years, um, you know, because Annie and I have done it with you for a long time. We've we've seen a few different people here in town that have all been so helpful. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten personally is that literally was hearing you know, because I think as just a Christian man, I was like, I am the head of the house and I represent our, we, and I need to make sure she's always okay. And I'm here to foster her relationship with God and mm. her relationship with the children and all these things. And I think one of the most freeing things I've ever learned in my life was in the counseling room and someone saying, no, that's not really right. Like mm-hmm. you need to care for her and you mm-hmm. need to lead her to the Lord. But she is autonomous from you in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah. And it just was like this, <gasps> yeah. uh, you know, because I'd been putting all this pressure on myself as the husband to really lead well. And 
when she would have a bad day, somehow that was my fault, you know. Or you'd or have would, a bad day too. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that was super helpful. And yeah. so, so, and I think it's really profound and, and really powerful. And I just want to re, I, I want to say this again so everybody's listening can realize the profundity of this that two counselors, not one counselor and a wife or one counselor and mm-hmm. a husband, two counselors went to counseling. Oh, yeah. You know, like I, yeah. I, I think that's really profound and really wise I, because I think of you and Nita both as very wise people. I think. You know, I, I think if you would ask me, I'd say, now that's a couple that probably doesn't need to go see people to talk about their relationship because yeah. you have two wise people who are both counselors. You're like a self-cleaning oven. Yes, that's <laughs> right. You're just every <laughs> night, every yeah. night you just hit the self-clean. There's just well, a 10 minute setting. I, yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. But, you know, I, it's funny. Yes, thank you for saying we're wise. And we're also self-centered very sinners. True. That's right. Um, yeah. And, mess up things yeah and mess up our relationship well i remember and how profound help. it was sitting in your room talking to you one of the first times we'd done counseling and you joking about how you had a jar that you and nita always laughed with your boys that yes. anytime you said something you knew that was like oh he's gonna need to get counseling because yeah. what I, you'd put a dollar in the jar <laughs> yeah, yes. and i thought yeah that yeah. is hysterical that is, yeah, was, we called it the counseling we did it was metaphorical but we'd go we'd look at each other and go whew that's going to be $20 in the counseling jar. <laughs> oh, and because what a great way to save. There's so, yeah, <laughs> really, and, and you know what? We actually told our kids this. We'd say, you know, when you go to counseling one day, first of all, I hope your counselor is kind to us. Mm, yeah. Because we tried. Yeah. But <laughs> we, we can give you a list of things <laughs> that we know we did. Yeah, we we just shortcut. And, and it'll save you a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just walk in with his sheet. Yeah, walk in. Just with give his it sheet. to the counselor. It's a worksheet. It's a worksheet <laughs> for your counselor. I mean, I can tell you, like, there's a moment. Oh my gosh, there's so many moments that I have that I go, oh gee, I, I did this, I did this, yeah, or I said this, yeah, or whatever, and I go, oh my gosh. And one one years later, probably when they were like twenty and seventeen, one of them said, "Are y'all really worried about that?" <laughs> really? Yeah. And I said, "Well." Kind of, because, you know, people have to talk about their parents because mm. yeah. they're born to be have a relationship with God and they get parents. Yeah. and <laughs> That's a great way we, to put that. We, and I don't care how many books you read, you're going to fail them. Yeah. And they're going to have something they need to talk about. Mm. And so, yeah, it's kind of on our minds, but I hope they go and they will. and And I hope that I will be humble when they yeah. come and tell me what they need to tell me yeah you know well, you said something to me in counseling that you had said <clears throat> to your boys that mm. has been really important i think about it all the time oh my gosh tell me what it you was. said it's it's basically what you just said you said look you guys were meant to to live with jesus you got me and at some point that's going to catch up with you and mm. i'm here to talk when you're ready yeah. man that's great so like, did what he a, say, did what I a say true, that? or maybe, maybe that <laughs> yeah, was maybe, maybe was it, it, it sounds right wise, so probably <laughs> yeah, maybe a lyric. <laughs> but what a great yeah. and true, and if you can swallow that and really mm. own that as a as a dad, you know, because it's inevitable. You're either going to fight against it or just surrender yeah. to it. Yeah, that was a really that was a gift for me. I'm glad. I can't you know. think of a better gift. I mean, we've talked about this some, John, but I can't think of a better gift you can give your kids than being well acquainted with one sin. 
yeah. uh, and having an appropriate view of your shortcomings. That that's yeah. a real gift to your kids because yeah. then that then that's hopefully spurs apology, which you've taught me is that is such a profound gift to your child. Oh, I remember a time when Nita was gone for like a long weekend, and the boys were like, oh "Gosh, six and three. and she was gone from like Friday to like Tuesday or something, and it was like Sunday night, and you know, bless my heart, I was. I was yeah you were deep, I was you were tired. deep in it yeah I was deep in it. I was tired and I put them to bed and did the routine and they came out for water and I put them back to bed instantly and I, thirsty yeah because yeah. they're always thirsty and then they had to pee and then and then they I put them to bed and I think by the I, I finally just sat down and I had some kind of like dream sickle <laughs> something <laughs> some kind of little yogurt bar. I was just chilling out, and they came out again, and I just snapped. I <laughs> threw the yogurt yeah, ball you did. against the wall. It slapped the wall, and I just yelled. And they ran back to their rooms and just got in bed really fast, and I just immediately just felt, oh, my gosh. And I went in there, and they were just like, really quiet and i said um guys you know i didn't want you to come out but there is no excuse for me yelling like that mm. and yep. throwing the ice cream against the wall <laughs> which was a little dramatic that was our last dream <laughs> that was our last that was my last <laughs> but anyway and his dad licking the wall so i said <laughs> so i'm really sorry but i want to know how you're feeling oh wow and brent said I'm really scared. Oh, and I went, oh, no. $50 in the bucket. 50 that was like 60 Uh, But anyway. So this is what's fun about you being on the other side of, you know, where John and I are right now with our young kids. What were the challenges of having two different personalities, like fathering two different personalities? You know, that's a great question. The personalities seem to make the shifts maybe at 13 or in 13 or 14 and then they would explore different things but when they were smaller they would love to do anything i'd suggest Mm. it became my job to my job that's a great word but it's true to think of creative things that would get them interested and do it and invite them into it yeah Mm. and are they pretty close they are yeah. They are. There was a little season uh, where they weren't. Maybe when the first one turned 13 and right. it's not cool to be friends with your nine-year-old brother. Right, right. But but I remember almost the weekend that they became friends again. Hmm. Really? And now they're really close. So was that kind of hard for you guys to see them kind of like... Oh, yeah. There was, this, there was this little year or two when we were going... Oh no! Yeah, you know when when we get older, they're not going to talk. You know yeah. they're going to be those kind of whatever. But yeah. they 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 really love each other. And how old were you when you had kids? Forty and forty three. Yeah, my college roommate has like nine grandchildren because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got married when he was twenty one, and I got married wow. when I was thirty six. Wow! So. Uh, was being a dad what you expected it to be? I mean, you you had the unique experience of having a lot of time to kind of, you know, and a lot of schooling, and I'm sure you learned a lot about the relationship between parents and kids. Was it what you expected it to be once you finally became a dad? 
I may have had schooling, but it didn't help. <laughs> um, it's sort of like reading books on parenting. It helps you a little bit, but not much. Um, but I, I do think that I gave something different to my children because I'd just been through a lot. Yeah. I'd gotten rid of, I'd grown up. Do you think you would have been a totally different dad if you had had kids at 21? Oh, yeah. 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 Because, you know, I went through a lot of stuff. Yeah in my late 20s and 30s that they would have had to go through with me. Right, yeah. Including depression and yeah. all that. And and they would have survived it. People do. Yeah. But it would have been very different. So I felt like as an older dad, I didn't have the energy to give them. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm kind of jealous of people that go backpacking with their kids because by the time I had them, my back hurt. <laughs> oh, my god! So I taught my children that, Cabins are wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Air They love cabins. This Hampton Inn is right next to yeah. the trees. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I gave them something different. Again, they're still going to have to go to counseling, but right. <laughs> but it just was, I don't think anybody is prepared to be a father. Mm. Right. But um, I just, you know, when I look back on it, I go, that was really fun. Mm. And they remember it. You know, yeah. we would we do things like on there's a day in our neighborhood where people put out things in the trash besides trash, like you'd put an old record player out or just a you know just stuff like that. And we would drive around and find things like an old TV, or my wife went crazy when we came home, so we we would get out of the car and get the old TV and put it in the car. And um, maybe, gosh, anything electronic. And then we'd bring it back to our workshop and take it apart. And it was just amazing. Oh, I love that. So, so fun. Cool. We'd have pieces all over and just just to take a TV apart, mm. you know, and, you know, it was just fun. What kind of dad would you say that you are, which is, which is a little bit of a weird question, but, like, you know, what was it that you were – trying to be not trying to be what were the and still and what are the priorities you have and had and then not you know i think one of the things that's been consistent is that i've always believed that my children my sons had a very intricate and complicated interior world Hmm. and i think that's true of everyone But I think a lot of people don't believe that about their children. And so I've always believed that and therefore felt like one of the things that we've been committed to is to always pursue it. Always never ask questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. Wow. Like we don't go, how was your day? Because that'll be fine especially when they're teenagers. Yeah. And that tells you nothing versus tell me something about your day that I wouldn't know unless you told me. Wow. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say we did that all the time, whatever. But, you know, there, there was a day when my son was about five, maybe four and a half, when one of his friends was killed in an auto accident. And I didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Because he's little, but he knows she's died. And so I would ask him, how are you? 
how are you feeling? And he would say, okay, or something like a little kid would say. And then the next day his stomach started hurting really badly and we mm -hmm. took him to the doctor and the doctor said that's where it is. And so I kept asking him, just, you know, whether it's laying down at night, how are you feeling? And and he would be okay. And then I'd just say, what's it like? And he'd be okay. And I just felt like it was my job to keep pushing in. Mm. Because, again... I believe it's intricate and complicated in there. Yeah. And then probably the second day he said, are they going to put her in a box? Oh, my gosh. And I went, um, yeah. I said, why do you want to know? And he said, well, and then I, I realized that he had gone to what he was familiar with, which is Snow White. And that's what he'd seen. And he said, because if she's in a box, maybe I could go and kiss her. Oh, my gosh. You know, and then, and then you know, my, my eyes start filling up. And, and then... This is the second time I'm like and, and then, oh, wait, wait, I'm not finished. And then, you know, because he's trying to put it together. He goes, well, I can go kiss her. And then I go, well, no, I don't think that'll work. And then he said... Can God kiss through glass? Oh, my and I went yes, and just <laughs> fell apart. And he did too. And I really could have missed that, and he yeah. could have missed that, you know. And it was this moment that, oh my gosh, that he was processing it, yeah, and dealing with it. But how easy it would have been. And I know I've missed a lot by not asking the questions. But to go, well, he says he's feeling okay. I guess he's doing yeah, okay. Yeah. But all of a sudden that just comes out and that's in there and he's four and a half. Mm, and yeah. they go, it's just stirring. So to me, one of the things is just always assume that their little minds are going and working and trying to put things together and they're not simple. Mm, I mean, everybody yeah. knows that, but... It's easy to treat them like they're simple. John, it goes without saying that quarantine is totally a new way of life. Definitely. Yeah. I know we're all tired of hearing the word unprecedented. I know I've heard it an unprecedented amount of time, <laughs> but it really is. I mean, a year ago, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that I'd be at home for the majority of the year with my family off the road. I right? know, I know. I tried to. I, I had a, I have a you did. soothsayer's gift. But we'll get back to that. In so many ways, it's been a blessing. But in others, the stress and balancing act of virtual learning with the kids, continuing to write and be creative, and struggling to maintain relationships really begins to take a toll. Now, how have you been able to navigate the ups and downs, Dave? Oh, because God gave me you. <laughs> hey <-o! laughs> And that's what they're there for. Cash the check. I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace for Therapy Online. You can even start the therapy the same day as you sign up. Depending on the plan you choose, you can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist so it's unbelievably convenient to have virtual sessions at the drop of a hat and from the comfort of your home. Now, I know therapy can get expensive. So is Talkspace affordable? <laughs> Buckle up. We're about to go to the cheapest moon you've ever been to. It's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7, and they'll engage you with daily, five days a week thoughts. Wow. 
mental health at your fingertips. That yep. sounds too good to be true. <laughs> it isn't. And I have tried to poke a hole in this as much as you can poke <laughs> holes in things, okay? Dogspace is thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, and anger management, to name a few. Okay, so how can you sign up? Thanks for asking, John. As a Dadville listener, listen, folks, you'll get 100 bucks off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code DADVILLE to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's D-A-D-V-I-L-L-E at Talkspace.com. Yep. DADVILLE at Talkspace.com to get support and save money today. You know, when we were talking to Drew Holcomb uh, the other day, he was telling this story about, I, I think we were asking him about traveling, and um, he has a daughter and a, and a son, and I, I was asking him about if they prefer, when they were younger, did they prefer his wife, Ellie, over him? Because my two daughters prefer my wife over me, for sure. Unless I'm holding some kind of like a Chocolate. baked good or something mm-hmm. like that, which is why you go buy a lot, of which I do goods. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you have a copious amount. But he he told this story about how uh, they were on vacation. He had just got off the road, so he had been gone for a little while. And with their daughter, Emmy Lou, he he was like, "I'm going to take her out on on a date," and she did not want to go. You know, she was really preferring Ellie, and. He really fought through it and took her out on this date that she did not want to go out on all that. And, you know, halfway through, she was enjoying herself and it was this great day and all that. So, But I feel like there is such a pattern of, like, pushing through this resistance as a parent. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe especially as a dad, although mm-hmm. I'm biased because I am a dad. But whether it be, like, uh, an outright your child is does not want to be around you at the time... Or pushing through a seemingly like friendly end to a conversation, like "How was mm. your day?" Oh, it's fine. Mm. But like going past yeah. that, you know, is where you really start to get into meaningful yeah. relationship. Yeah. One of the things I really wanted to ask you was: Does it get harder to do that as your kids get older? And more pointedly, like, is is it? You know, my my daughters are three and five now, and I. I tell them I love them a million times a day. I'm very affectionate with them. I feel very safe with them. I don't feel judged by them, all that kind of stuff. So it's very easy for me. Is that something that is going to get harder you know, as they get older? I found it It gets harder for a season, and that would be probably high school. The time when they're trying to break out and to find out what they're like and yeah. they're and they're pushing away from you and that's just just painful Mm. and they will answer in one word sentences one word responses you just have to remind yourself over and over this is what people do this is what children do to differentiate to to express their independence and they don't like you a lot for a little while, they're not yeah. well. Uh, you know, sometimes they don't, or, or they're they're just irritated with you a little bit, yeah. And vice versa. And I remember talking to some friends about about it, going, "Gosh, is this going to be okay?" And they go, "They'll come back. Mm. They'll come back." And it was so relieving. And I've found that 
now it's even deeper. Mm. They they are very willing, both of them. Wow. They're, they're great guys. And they, we've even had a chance to, my wife and I have made the decision to kind of talk about our lives in ways about telling them some things about our past and our life and our marriage mm-hmm. that they didn't know. And it was a conscious decision, and it changed the dynamic of our relationship. Yeah. In what I mean, ways? Well, they they just embraced it and asked questions and and I think felt more of a, okay, they're more real now. Yeah, you guys are at that point where they are seeing, you guys are transitioning from just mom and dad to like, yeah, this was to, a couple that met back in the 70s and these yeah days. yeah yeah <laughs> you know. and they're still our parents and they love us and yet everything's on the table to talk about wow. yeah and and again that may change but right now it is so I, so in answer to your question there'll be a season where you'll go oh, no they'll never be and then it'll come back so i can't say enough about porter's call i mean i have been oh well thank you so deeply uh, blessed by y'all's ministry and contribution to this community. And I would really say this, and I, and I hope you know how, how much I feel this, but I would say it's one of the most important things, I think, happening in this city. Oh, thank you. Um, in our community, in mm-hmm. the artist community here. Um, and I know so many people that have just been so served by y'all's wisdom and uh, and input and time. But why did you do it? What was the impetus that made you think, gosh, this is something that I, I really want to do here in Nashville for, for artists? Money. Oh, my God. And scene. <laughs> no. You know. Cash. It, it, <laughs> Cold on cash bonds. It didn't, it didn't start out as Porter's Call. What happened was we moved to town. I started a private practice. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the first year, probably 90% of my practice was connected to music. Wow. Because you're all crazy. Amen <laughs> no, to that. No. Amen. But, and I, I really kind of was thinking, huh, is this just what it's like in Nashville or is this something God's doing? And I didn't. It could be either. As more and more artists came, touring artists came in, the more I saw themes developing. Hmm. It was the impact of being on the road Mm. with your family or your friends. The impact of fame or lack of it. Mm. The impact (laughs) of lots of money or lack of it. (laughs) And I'm not sure which is worse or which is more difficult. That dynamic that comes with people think certain things about me because I'm on stage at my best. And they believe certain things about me. Mm. And the struggle with whether I'm going to believe what they believe or whether I'm going to yeah. know who I am. Yeah. yeah. And having to keep secrets because if people know them, then maybe I'll my manager will leave or maybe I'll get booted from a label or, you know, all that. And so I, having a ministry background, I was thinking – this 50 minute an hour and 100 bucks or whatever it was back then, it just doesn't feel like it's working for touring artists. Because one, most of them didn't have the money to pay 
and I couldn't keep cutting my rates. And the other people just couldn't come on time and couldn't come many times because they were touring. Yeah. So I, I just came up with this little entrepreneurial idea that I would go to five labels and say, hey, buy a day of my counseling practice and let your artists come for free. Mm. And the first person I went to was Peter York um, over at uh, now Capitol Records. Mm -hmm. And I gave him my little spiel. I said, hey, your artists, you put a lot of money into them, millions of dollars to get them out on the road and successful, and we're watching them crash and burn. Mm. Would you be interested in spending something on their hearts and souls as well? And he said, well, yes, we would. And I didn't know what to say next because I had no plan. <laughs> You're like, we are off script. I had no plan. Jump ahead to page 11. <laughs> yes. And he said, in fact, my board has challenged me to do that. And so within six weeks, they had approved. They said, let's try it for three months. And our only, we'll pay you for Wednesdays. We'll buy six clients or whatever wow. it is, whatever. And our only stipulation is you have to be able to accept any artist from any label. That's so cool. Which is unheard of in this community. And after three months, they came back and said, something's happening with our artist. Because I could sit down with a young couple who couldn't pay anything mm -hmm. for two hours, which would have been 250 bucks, and for free. Yeah. yeah. And Amazing. it was great. And they came back after three months, and he and Bill Hearn, and said, we think that our industry needs this. So would you consider being a nonprofit? And if you do, uh, we would go around the industry and help to shake the trees. Um, get the funding. To get some funding in. So that was 18 years ago. Hmm. And uh, they've been supporters ever since. And basically we raise money from people who make money from healthy artists. Hmm. Yeah. And that's how we keep it going because everything is free. And we want to keep it free. Hmm. So... I always think it's funny whenever I'm at an event, the last one being Dave's 40th birthday party, where they're, we're sitting with 50, 60 friends, most of them artists, and I always just think, man, if Al could get up with the <laughs> microphone. Oh, uh, look, there's John. I see you over there, John. All the secrets. How's your fetish with feet going? <laughs> <laughs> when I came to you for counseling, you had me paint what was my upbringing like? And we really honed in on my dad, mm -hmm. which was not at all on my little agenda when I came in. And we ended up talking about my dad, and I ended up discovering things and remembering things that I hadn't mm. thought about in years and years and years. Huh. So obviously the impact of dads is so massive. What are some of the common themes that you have seen throughout these 18 years of counseling artists in Nashville? Mm. Wow. I think one of the hardest things for artists is absence. And it's just, it comes with the territory. But I think one of the hardest things to overcome is having to be away. I've seen that as a theme over and over again of I love what I do but it's really hard to be away from my family yeah um, so I don't know if that's a theme or just a reality but it's just out there well you even said you know your dad traveled a little bit yeah but you remember him coming back yeah 
And I remember, you know, as I've told you, when I was younger, my dad traveled a lot. He was gone from Monday through Friday mm. every week. And f- in the early, early years, he had he was still playing with his band on Saturday nights. Wow. And I remember one of the earliest memories of my dad is I remember him coming home. It was late at night. I was excited because I got to stay up because he was going to be home. You know, maybe he normally wouldn't be home till 2 in the morning or whatever, mm-hmm. but he was home at 10 or something, so I got to stay up. Mm-hmm. So I was excited that I was up. He got home, and he said, this will give you a good example of his sense of humor. He comes in the house, and he you know, gives me a hug. And he says, I got a surprise for you. And so I'm excited. You know, he doesn't normally come home with gifts or whatever. And he, I went out to his Ford Escort, and he gave me a tube of socks. Not new socks, just my socks. And he was like, you left these in the car. <laughs> these are just my socks. That was a surprise. That's like maybe the earliest memory that I have That's of wild. my dad. Yeah. But it's him coming home. Yeah. You know? And we've, we've talked about this a lot. Some of the memories that I, I have in my mind that are 30-plus years old now that I have, mm-hmm. they're so vivid, and they're so seemingly insignificant Hmm. do you think that it's just the absence that gives it that weight yeah i think so yeah i think so because uh your kids wait for you yeah and so when you come home it's significant and i wouldn't want anybody listening to this including you all to think okay then i can't travel because i'm messing up my kids because that's not the issue the issue is as much, I mean, you know, if anybody can travel less, I go great. If they can make the money, travel less. But the issue is as much what you do when you come home. Because yeah. as you said, that's what I remember. Right. And it's funny, I hadn't thought about that, but I remember being at the back door when my dad came home. Yeah. And wondering either what he brought, you know, because right. he'd bring a little socks. something. Socks. <laughs> something like that. A new mom. But who's that, Dad? This is your new mom. <laughs> Last week it was socks. <laughs> this week this is it's, sha- it's Sasha. <laughs> Sasha. That was when he went Sasha. to Russia. That's right. She didn't speak very English. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, with kind of that thought, uh, knowing that you sit with so many uh, men, uh, with so many dads, and with maybe it's a technology piece, whatever. But but um, you know, here in 2019 and beyond, do you feel like there are new challenges to dads that that are specific to this time of life we're living in and if there are how do you help them deal with those things wow i do think the new challenges and i really do feel like it has to do with social media Hmm. and i I don't want to sound like the old guy but i am but more than social media it's the lack of being present yeah Mm -hmm. and and i i think there's a there's a movie out called eighth grade by bo burnham it's it's a week in the life of an eighth grader eighth grade girl and it's really all about the power of social media man and there's some scenes that are just pretty incredible in it but what what it is 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 and i i wouldn't limit this to kid i think it's everybody it's people are not present and so i think i think if i were a dad of kids today, I think my biggest struggle would be, okay, how can they still be cool kids and be involved in these things, but be present with people? 
and how do I how do I draw them into relationship when they have these fake relationships? Yeah, all over the world, any place, and this fake personality that shows the best and all this. Right. I, I I don't know if I've helped people through that dilemma as much as I see it as one mm. now, but but I think that's. That's going to be a big part of the conversation, I think, because so much of people's security and insecurity is based on what they're seeing yeah. and how many likes they get or all that kind yeah. of stuff. So I think, but, but I think the big issue is being present. And, and I, I'm trying to think of what I would do now about like, we had this routine at our dinner table was that we would turn out the lights and we would light a candle in the middle of the table every night for dinner. And the world would be closed out and it was just our faces. Mm. And, I mean, I know that if you talk to our sons, they talk about that. Mm. First of all, it started about, you know, you fight about who gets to light it <laughs> And who blows it out. But then it just became this tradition that we did for a long time, probably up to high school, and then they were too cool to do it. But for that little period of time, it was just our faces that were lit up. Mm. And metaphorically, I think you could take that somewhere. Yeah, I love that. You know, that that there's going to be some time out for these devices, and we're going to be together, and we're going to talk. and. Mm. And that that may be too dreamy. That yeah, may not be able to happen. But 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 as I look out there, I think, gosh, that's a big issue. Man. Yeah. Um, and for uh, for young guys, just the availability of porn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and that's just the discussion that you start having as soon as you think you should. So, can you talk about that really quick? Like, what does that look like for a dad that's trying to figure out how to talk to his kid about that? Um, usually, you know, it, it's, it's almost like, okay, uh, you know that this is available and we need to talk about that. And the way I went about it was, you know, this is something that you want to do. And this is something that frankly, I would like to do Mm. and let's fight this together. Wow. And so that's kind of how I went about it, wow. just to go, this isn't just your struggle, little buddy. You know, this yeah. is a guy's struggle. We want to look at things we shouldn't look at. And so yeah. let's talk about it. So it was a conversation early, early on. Um, yeah. I don't know how early, but probably when I first noticed that somebody was in the <laughs> And the com- you looked at that jogging com- woman for a while <laughs> the, in the car. The, I'm going to take my little iPod in here for <laughs> whatever. Is, but yeah. but it was just a conversation because it's real. But I involve myself in the conversation instead of just them. You That's also amazing. did something before we sort of bring it to an end here. You also did something that I thought was really, really profound. I've thought about this a lot. That Was it when your boys turned 15? 13. 13. Yeah. Uh, would you talk about that for a second? Because I think this is incredible. This was yeah. so cool. I probably would have waited till 14 or 15 if I were to do it again. Mm. But we did it at 13. What I did was I got um, about seven men that were friends of our family that they knew well, including my dad at the time, 
and I got seven men that knew my son. Mm. And there's this park in town called Winstead Park, and it's about a three-quarter mile loop. Mm. And I asked each man if they would come to this park at, say, 6 o'clock and bring something, some small gift or token that they would give to my son Mm. as a representative of something he would need for his journey into manhood. And then they stationed themselves every... Oh, I love that. ...around the thing and waited. And then uh, my wife brought him. We did it with both of them. And then she drove off. So it was very symbolic, you know. Mm, And and she drove off, and when he came up, and he was just so nervous. Both of them were. But I gave him a backpack and just said, so uh, you're becoming a man. And um, there's some things you're going to need for the journey. Mm. So here's a little flashlight, and here's your backpack. And I want you to take a walk, and I'll walk behind you. And um, there's some men along the way that have some things they want to give you. Man, alive. And so he started walking, and the first man just kind of comes out from behind a tree. and <laughs> scares you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and said, hey. And then one guy gave him a, a book that says 200 things that you need to do before you die. And he talked about adventure. Mm. And another, I can't remember all the gifts, but they both remember them. But they went all the way through. And then after we finished, uh, we drove back to the, the house and Nita had prepared this really manly meal of steak and baked potatoes. And we just sat around and talked. And I love that. Yeah. Isn't that great? How cool. Where did you get the idea to do that? I don't know. I'd like to say I made it up, but I don't think I did. I, I know I saw or read something about rights of manhood yeah. someplace, different places, and how it often involved elders or something. Yeah. And, and maybe, I think actually I'd gone to a, a kid's, I was invited to somebody's 13th birthday and they asked us all to bring the kids something we did it around there and yeah i just decided to expand it a little bit that's and, so cool and it was it was fun but so a few more questions and then we'll release you okay. to the wild again but knowing you know i think a chunk of the people that be listening to this are, are dads is there any sort of a great thesis statement you know knowing you have this moment in this podcast kind of talk to dads that would be, and it could be a couple of things, but it's sort of you're like, here's the thought I have for the dads out there, which I know is that's a big ask. Wow. Well, I think is one that I've said before is that always assume mm. that there's more inside. That's a big one. Um, the next I would think is don't let it get boring. Mm. You know, have a spirit of adventure. And try to dream up um, ways to draw your your kids into adventure. Mm. Yeah, and it, it doesn't need to be expensive. It can be. It know, could be a TV that somebody threw away. It could be a TV. Go take that it somebody, apart. In the garage. It could be a ramp that you yeah. build in the backyard. Yeah, we, we have a movie of going over a ramp and it almost killed both of them. But, <laughs> but 
You know, I, I'll give you a crazy example. You might have to cut this, but there was a um, an eclipse of the moon, and I talked about it all day, and it was going to happen at 2 in the morning. And so I woke the boys up, and I took them out to the backyard. And we're standing in the backyard, and they're really tired, but and they're in their little pajamas, and the moon gets eclipsed, and it just gets dark, pitch dark. And I said, boys, you know that in many foreign countries, when there's eclipse of the moon, all the men in the village take off all their clothes, and they run around the nearest magnolia tree, which we had in the backyard. And they go, really? I said, yes. So we all took off our clothes. I love that. <laughs> and we ran around the magnolia tree, hoping against hope that the neighbors weren't out watching. Oh, them. my gosh. And so um, that's still disgust. I now. love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be much. But um, but adventure, just just knowing that kids want to risk and they need someone to lead them. Mm. And, you know, I think the the next thing is, and someone told me once, totally freaked me out. They said, no pressure here, but one of the things that people are going to think about, that kids are going to think about when they get older, is their image of God is often related to the image of their father. Oh, jeez. Because... You pray every week, our Father who art in heaven. And I, I remember hearing a sermon one time of somebody said, what do your Father's hands look like? Are they always busy? Did they strike you? Do they embrace you? And people's first, first image of God is going to be what they've experienced when they say the word father, what are they going to think about? Mm-hmm. If anybody hears this and starts feeling guilty, that's not where I'm going. But it's just the reality. Yeah. And so to me, the, the thing that I told you about yelling at the boys, there was an instance when I did something else. I don't remember what it was. But I decided that I, I was just feeling horrible about it. And so I, I went and woke up. Uh, my oldest, who was more impacted by whatever I did. And it was like midnight. He was asleep. And I just took him outside, carried him outside, and I put him on his, on his favorite swing. We had this big tree swing. And I just started pushing him. And it was just this quiet moment where he was just going up and farther up, and he loved for his feet to touch the leaves, you know. And I just pushed him and pushed him, and we didn't say a word. And then I just took him back to bed. Mm. And in my mind, what I was trying to say is, God the Father is sometimes harsh. Mm. And sometimes he'll just wake you up and do something that you just love because because he loves you. And I didn't tell him that, but that's what I wanted to communicate. And it was, that was intentional. Other things have not been. I, I think every dad I know feels guilty. And I'd like to make a sign of the cross to every, every father out there to go, you're going to fail, and that's okay. And there's a lot of grace for that failure. And you can move into that grace. To me, it's just a call to be a good man. 
Yeah. Yeah. Not a man that doesn't fail, but a good man. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because we all know very wicked fathers. Mm. And the impact of a wicked father is just <sighs> just almost unhealable, it feels like yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But a good father who tries and fails and succeeds, it's just what we want to be. Yeah. That reminds me of um, something we talked about in counseling that my wife actually said, Amy told me when we were going through something she said, I don't need a great marriage. I need a real marriage. My uh-huh. kids don't need the best dad. They don't need a perfect dad. They yeah. just need a real dad. Yeah, that's so true. That's so, a good word. So with your kids, what is one thing that you want your kids to know? Regarding parenting, I, I want them to know uh, that I'm there and available mm-hmm. um, and present. And um, graceful. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's four things. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it morphs. It but morphs. gosh, that's a great question. That sort of has been my takeaway, not only in this conversation, but in conversations we've had in the past. Even if you don't say this outright, you sort of, the message that I get from you is just a very peaceful existence. Hmm. With my kids, I'm not, stop trying to get it all right. Stop feeling guilty about the stuff that you're getting wrong. Just be there. Just Mm -hmm. be with your kids. Yeah. You know. Presence. Yeah. Yeah. Al, you're a ninja, man. I'm so glad you've been on this podcast. I really feel like I have genuinely been, like, challenged. Mm. I feel like I've learned things. Yeah. I feel very, like, uh, I mean, your point earlier that you reiterated, John, it's like, it just feels good to breathe because I do. I mean, when you said all dads feel guilty, I don't know if that should be the tagline for dad bill. <laughs> dad bill, all dads Bring feel your guilty. guilty. Uh, it's true. Isn't but I do it? think it's true. Yeah. I think there's a real, I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I know moms struggle with a whole different set of things, but I do think there is, and we've talked about this, John, but I think there is this weird sort of, inability that feels hardwired into a man that's because our children's first instincts uh are not going to be toward us they're going to be toward the moms at least for a long time Mm -hmm. so you're just kind of you begin about a mile back (laughs) you know like annie's (laughs) on a trot and i'm just like just keep her if i can see her yeah i'm doing okay there's still hope there's still hope maybe (laughs) i can catch her and so I think your point about that is really profound, but it's really freeing, you know, what you said around that about how you follow that up. And so I, I, there's just so many things. I mean, John and I talked so much about how excited we were to have you on, and I oh, think thanks. you've gone Genuinely far excited. beyond yeah. what we felt. I want to say a few things as we wrap it up. Um, as we sort of started talking about out, you do have stuff that people can can go and buy and check out and read. Um Boy, the Kite in the Wind is an amazing, amazing uh, children's book that's really not a children's book. Uh, a Walk One Winter Night is an amazing uh, Christmas book. I love that book. Um, Thank you. And uh, if you guys, if anybody ever sees Al is going to be speaking somewhere or uh, he's been a part of my Christmas show for the last, you know, seven, eight years, <laughs> you really need to go. Um, and, and it doesn't uh, really matter what you're speaking about yeah. you're just your voice is like the shoulder the back rub of voices oh that's very kind <laughs> oh my gosh where mine is like a nice knee of the groin 
It's a Thank solid you. or just a br- the, that kind of brush that hurts. The Mine's of- more like the annoying voicemail. <laughs> just, oh my god. You know, the bottom <laughs> tone. <laughs> All you wonderful, beautiful, kind people. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you have a second, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review. Unless it's bad. Because that stuff really does matter. And please follow us on socials. You can find us everywhere at Dadville Podcast. Also, you can follow us each at Dave Barnes Music and at John McLaughlin to find out more about our music. Thanks for listening.